Welcome to the Thresholds podcast brought to you by Rahamim Ecology Centre. Sharing the voice of pioneers in spiritual ecology, facilitating new and ancient wisdom for the challenges of our earth community. This particular recording is the edited interview. We also have longer uncut versions available on our website, along with show notes to accompany each episode. So you find out more about all the ideas, people and books mentioned in the show. Are you a fan of the Thresholds podcast? Why not support us so we can keep bringing you these interviews? You can now easily donate online by hitting the donate now button at the top of the Thresholds podcast page on our website www.rahamim, that's R-A-H-A-M for Mary, I-M for Mary, .org.au. Or simply type Thresholds Podcast into Facebook and hit the like button on our Facebook page. Don't forget to share our page with your friends. Dr. Gillian Ross is someone who has embraced multiple wisdoms over her lifetime as a Christian, Buddhist yogi and mystic with a penchant for Taoism and myth. You don't get your own enlightenment and just waft off somewhere. You stay here with what is happening and we do whatever we can or whatever we feel moved to do. And the messages of sacred activism are that you have a particular reason for being here. You have a particular gift to bring to this particularly unique and precious, extraordinary time. And you have to find that gift and give it to the world. That's where you find wholeness and fulfillment and joy. The author of four books, Gillian studied behavioural science and philosophy before training as a shiatsu massage practitioner and yoga teacher. Her ABC audio recordings of guided meditations and yoga nidra have been enormously popular over the years. Gillian spoke to us by phone from her home in the Nimid Valley of New South Wales, where she now runs a meditation and retreat centre called Pema Valley. So welcome to the Thresholds podcast, Dr. Gillian Ross. Sally. <laughs> You're up there in um, Pema Valley in Nimbin. How's life up there? Oh, well, it's a beautiful, sunny, crisp winter morning and we've been blessed with rain overnight, so we can't complain up here, I'm afraid, you know, mm. not at all. We're very blessed yeah, with the well. weather. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm sitting in my, my uh, wee hilltop temple. Yes. Um, delighted to be with you, my darling. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And as well my as pleasure. having that idyllic lifestyle, you're an author and voice, you know, recorder of so many uh, CDs and um, med- of meditation with the ABC and is it Vision Australia and you, you seem to be on the cutting edge of consciousness, the evolution of consciousness. And so I really want to take you back to your early childhood days and ask you a little bit about your religious and spiritual background and any kind of inspiration or, or even desolation <laughs> from those times. A very long time ago. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much has happened in my lifetime, you know. It's like looking mm-hmm. back to a different historical era. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, no. Well, I mean, I had a very simple, uncomplicated childhood in Lincolnshire, in England, and uh, we lived in sort of in the country. So I had a lovely connection with the night skies, with the flat in English fen countryside, and felt very moved by that. But looking back, I mean, I really did have a very intimate and, and um, stable sort of sense of connection with Christ. And, and my family were just conventional Church of England. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to church Christmas time, perhaps, and, uh, and births and deaths and stuff like that. But I used to take myself off to church nearly every Sunday from a very early age, I think from certainly when I was nine or ten and into my teenage years, because I loved the choir and I loved the hymns. And, of course, I was confirmed in the Anglican Church and just loved to take the Eucharist and um, so on and so forth. So what else would you like to know? And it really, mm. you know, wasn't I was escaping from anything. I was doing well at school and had lots of friends. Had mm. this mystical thread. So you're, you're telling me that you kind of had that mystical thread from a very early age that later developed... Well, what happened then was I went to university. I, I suffered what Andrew calls the concentration camp of <laughs> tertiary <laughs> education, mm. um, where all of this back in the 60s was considered to be very stupid, you know, I mean, if you believed in God and anything like that, you were either emotionally disturbed or stupid. Mm. And I was trying very hard not to come over any of those, being a bit of a country bumpkin going to <laughs> London University. Mm. Met up with a lot of postgraduate psychology students, ended up marrying one of them, and uh, pretty well beat all that out of me. Um, not <laughs> quite physically, but almost. And um, and I tried to be a an, an intellectual agnostic, which was the the um, the fashion of the day when you were at university, and. Uh, and continued in that way for about 20 years of my adult life, between the ages of 14. I was very involved in university and teaching and and this rational perspective on the world. Um, and uh, I wasn't happy. I abused alcohol. I smoked mm. a lot. I ended up, you know, having to take Mogadon to help me sleep. Thank you so much for sharing. I'd love you to share more of that. that well, because in your okay. writings, so, you tell me about the the pain of earthly rejection and how that led you to somewhere different. Yes, well, you know, my lifetime was the birth of my my children. You know, my three sons, mm-hmm. one after the other, and um, quite warm, quite close together. And the love I felt for them, and the absolute joy and delight, both in you know during pregnancy when I didn't have any desire to smoke or drink or anything, I just felt sort of feeling the richness of this life inside me it just revived something in me, the long-lost sense of connection to the sacred. And um, so by the time in my late 30s, I realized that, you know, I was missing. Oh, my, my PhD studies also was around religion. It was interviewing Catholic converts and Catholic rejects, Catholic mm. dropouts, you can call them rejects. And I was so impressed by some of the Catholic converts who, again, were there not to any emotional need, but because of some mystical experience and because of the richness of the liturgy of the, you know, the Catholic mm-hmm. ritual and so on. And, and again, I felt that sense of having lost something really precious. Mm. So for the sake of my children to be healthier and happier and more vital for them, I started going to yoga classes, mm-hmm. nothing I'd never done before. And uh, I had wonderful experience of the yoga nidra when I was lying in that relaxed position after all the asanas and the physical workout. And I just felt this lovely floating feeling and a feeling of energy flow in my body and it was so delicious. But mm. oh my God, I want to have more of it. So I actually continued the yoga classes, trained as a yoga teacher. The yoga teacher sent me off to Shiatsu Massage, which again awakened this lovely sense of being the body of energy. It inspired me to learn shiatsu. 
So, you know, that was my stepping stone into, one might say, a reconnection with, with my with mysticism of my childhood. Um, because then I began to explore Eastern mysticism, Taoism and Buddhism and flirted with a lot of those. But then came back to my Christian tradition and the mystical, read the mystical roots and core of those teachings. Mm. And one strips away the patriarchal distortions and, you know, all that sin stuff and God and hell stuff. Um, found a great richness there. And of course, above all, my experience of yoga nidra led me into meditation. Mm. And the delights of, of mystic meditation. Yeah. So that's where I've ended up, you might say. And then in the 90s, I met a wonderful, wonderful meditation teacher who taught me meditation on the third eye, which awakened mm-hmm. up a whole new awareness of the imaginal realm and the non you know, the, the invisible realm, the non-material realm, which excited me hugely and that had all been stripped away from me with my Western education. And met up or started to read uh, Matthew Fox and Jim Houston mm-hmm. and uh, Joseph Campbell and all that push in the 90s towards sacred psychology and and evolutionary spirituality, mm-hmm. where I found my home, evolutionary mysticism. And that was 20 years ago now. 20 years ago. That must so have been very early on that path, yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Swaki's Yearning, you, you talk about how Western civilization offers us nothing more than a cul-de-sac um, that we're, and that we're novices with what, what the Eastern civilization can offer us, which is yoga and uh, union with the higher self and, and so on, and that basically Western civilization leads to a path of addiction and um, great unhappiness. Um, how have you explored that any, any further in your life? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, in my book, Consciousness versus Catastrophe, I do see and or elaborate upon my feeling that that our disconnection from the feminine, which which evolutionary some evolutionaries believe was a necessary step in our evolution um, as a culture, as a species, was too severe. There's a lovely quote from D.H. Lawrence, which I had it here, that it would be like a flower picked from the ground and put in a vase, and how can you expect it to flower, blossom when it's, you know, disconnected from its roots? And weren't the roots being the roots of our divine connection with our divine force and our roots in, in the sense of the sacred? And that Western culture, for some, I think, culture, yes, it did go into a sort of cul-de-sac where it was led along this path of, of um, disconnect from the natural world. That's controversial. Um, I could say so much more about this. Mm. But um, let's just say that that we have this story of separation, which started with the emergence of self-reflective consciousness. I'm getting a bit sort of technical here, maybe, but it's really quite simple. We went into this story of separation. Western culture, with its disconnect from the feminine, the fear of the feminine, and the, the, the you know, severe patriarchal conditioning. Um, this story of separation was very enhanced. Separation, sense of separation from each other, sense of separation from the natural world, ooh, terrible, sense of separation from our own body where we live in our head, and above all, sense of separation from the invisible realm, from the imaginal realm, from the divine realm, you know, mm. and we live in this flatland, as Ken Wilber calls it, we're in this flatland of rationality, and um, it, it, it leads us to addiction because we're yearning for a fullness that we've lost, we're yearning for a wholeness and holiness that this 
Kant's story of separation and rational um, efficacy, you know, is, is not answering. Mm. So of course we turn to, as I did, to, you know, to, to release from alcohol, from drugs, from shopping, you know, from consuming too much food and all the addictions that permeate our Western culture at the moment. We are, we have an epidemic of addiction of one form or another. Mm. Because we've got this deep sense of separation and loss that is left a, a vacuum in us that has to be healed and restored. It's a deep wounding. Mm. Um, and, and my theme, not just mine, but the theme of evolutionary mysticism, is it's time for us to reconnect, it's sacred to reconnect, and um, not discard the technologies and scientific wisdom and knowledge that's come out of that period of disconnect, but to harvest the best of it, but to bubble, reconnect with the sacred. Mm. Yeah, so I was fascinated by how in Psyche's Yearning, your book, um, you were able to um, make really strong connections between myths of the Western tradition, such as the Grail legend and mainly the story of Psyche and Eros, about how Psyche has to undertake several tasks and um, each of them sort of progresses in the level of consciousness um, that's required until she finally gets reunited with Eros. And um, so I was interested in, in your drawing upon myth and story and whether this offers us anything in our Western tradition that might, you know, lead away from the path of addiction and so on? Well, I, I confess, darling, that in using the Psyche and Eros story and, and also the Grail story is a sort of entertainment strategy by the author to make it a little bit more juicy than just talking, you know, about philosophically, because <laughs> there is an enormous richness in our in our mythic heritage, in all the, the mystic traditions of all the cultures, mm. which is another sad aspect of our uh, moving into flatland. We've we've considered such things to be, um, you know, childish fantasies of mm. a, an era where we've now grown out that we've grown out of with our rational wisdom and our intellect and so on, mm. which of course is absolute nonsense. So it's incredible. We're misreading the power of the unconscious. Continue to do so, but there are messages arising all the time from our unconscious mind, expressed in literature and art and music, that uh, that can transform our consciousness. Yeah, and um, you also draw upon how the evolution of psychology itself, um, yes. moving from say Freud to Jung yes. to Wilbur. Yes. Can you expand yes. on that for us? There are nice parallels there, actually, with the chakra mm. centers, the energy centers understood in the east, you know, the base chakras and the muladhara, the center, the, the navel, going up to the heart, the throat, the third eye, and the crown chakra and beyond. And that it's as though the, um, the, psych the, the evolution of Western psychology has moved from the very Freudian sex-centered area down below. And then we came to Jung, which was much more around the heart opening. And then we went into transactional um psychology which is the throat and then we're moving into into the um, transpersonal psychology which is which is recognizing the, the energies um, beyond the rational mind so I mean you know one has to be cautious about those sort of rather, perhaps rather simplistic parallels but again it it gives an image for people to to hold on to in terms of seeing this evolution of consciousness 
we hope that with this human consciousness is evolving into greater complexity and a reconnection with the divine. Um, we haven't talked about evolution as such, but, uh, you know, we're in an era now we've had the evolution of, of matter from light and then we have the evolution of life from matter. That's looking at the whole history of, of, um, of the evolution of planet Earth. And now we're moving into a period, hopefully, of the evolution of consciousness, mm. where it will now blossom, because we're in this extraordinary stage now of evolution, when that eros, that energy of love that has moved this whole story of evolution from the initial flaring forth of energy, which we erroneously call the Big Bang, mm. uh, this flaring forth of divine energy moving towards this greater complexity, in the spirit of Teilhard de Chardin, of course, which I know your listeners are familiar with, yes. um, many of them anyway, into this period of evolution of consciousness where we become, we become a conduit, a vehicle, a vessel of this energy. It has a voice in us now that it never had before, a voice for guiding the future history and, and story of humanity. Um, but if we get stuck in the ego, this rational consciousness that's disconnected from that, we're stuck in our cul-de-sac. We go nowhere. We, in fact, we become extinct. And that is why this time, this moment is so precious. We're at this, this T-junction where we could go, you know, into more glorious evolution and, and a whole new species of humanity um, without any change to our DNA. Well, we're at this, this, this junction now between, you know, we can either move into a path, continue the way we are with the ego in the driving seat and end up extinct along with most of the natural world. Mm. Um, or we can take this path, which is emerging at the moment. We see it emerging in so many ways, not least this conversation you're having with me and the work that you do, my dear, uh, into a reconnection with the sacred, a reconnection with our mystical heritage and harvesting the richness of all the mystical traditions and the shamanic traditions, the indigenous wisdom, and move into a whole new species. Mm. It's so exciting. <laughs> so it is a very exciting, it's a scary time, but it's a very exciting time that we're on this threshold of transformation um, and we could go either way. Mm. I guess for some listeners they might be thinking, well... It's all very well to talk about, you know, evolution of consciousness, but what's that actually going to do in, in, in a situation of utter catastrophe and annihilation of the, you know, and the unravelling of the planet? What, do, what, what can consciousness actually do for us? Well, darling, very importantly, this is, brings us to sacred activism. Mm -hmm. uh, once you reconnect with a sense of the sacred, um, through your meditation practice, through whatever spiritual path you're taking that leads you into an authentic reconnection with the divine, with our divine source, you don't just sit on a mountaintop or go into a cave with a candle. You are moved, very powerfully moved, to participate in what is happening in the world, to alleviate suffering in the world. And, you know, the Bodhisattva tradition of Maya Buddhism, you don't get your own enlightenment and just waft off somewhere. You stay here with what is happening. And we do whatever we can or whatever we feel moved to do. And the, the messages of sacred activism are that you have a particular reason for being here. You have a particular gift to bring to this particularly unique and precious extraordinary time and you have to find that gift and give it to the world that's where you find wholeness and fulfillment and joy paradoxically not despair but joy and hope by finding that and connecting in that way 
and um, and collectively too, it's very important. We're no longer individuals acting in the world. We find a, a group, we find an affinity with, with others who are feeling this same way and finding that same energy and we move with them and we're inspired by them, we inspire each other. Um, so this is another aspect of our transition period is this collective collective sacredness, this um, bringing in a whole different energy mm-hmm. through coming together as sacred activists. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one can get very despairing and see that with so little action in the political field mm-hmm. and by our leaders to do what is needed at this time to save us from catastrophic breakdown. But, you know, we talk now of people power, of, of the power of, of, of consciousness to bring us at least to show so seeds for what might happen beyond the breakdown. That's my, my hope at the moment, that it's not a waste of time to meet with others, to make small increments of change, to start growing our own veggies, being in, more independent, um, more self-sufficient, because we're sowing seeds for a whole new way of being at some later stage mm. beyond the current predicted yeah. breakdown of our social structure. And what comes to mind here is the mystical wisdom around the long dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. That even in our personal journeys, we go through periods where we feel a disconnect from the divine, like I did, um, which is enormously challenging and painful, but it ultimately brings us through into a different level of, a more profound level of connection Mm -hmm. with our divine source. And we can hope that planet Earth, Gaia, is now going through its own long, dark night of the soul, uh, whereby we do have to have breakdown. Like, you know, it's a, in our personal journey, it's a, it's, a, it's a breakdown of ego, it's a meltdown of ego, and finding a different sense of self. And in the same way, the planet's going through a breakdown of its patriarchal structures and will emerge with a new reconnection, unprecedented connection with the Divine Mother and the the transcendent. Mm-hmm. I'm just really interested in uh, what you call the purification practices, which are the the tasks, I suppose, if we put it into the story of Saki Neros, the tasks that have to be undergone in order to attain this evolution of consciousness, um, one of which is macrobiotic diet, uh, and you talk about junk food and also junk thoughts. And at one point you actually go into say we, we kind of can – get beyond the traditional Western civilization's mode of psychology. We can do without that altogether if we can um, undertake these purification practices. Am I reading that right? <laughs> Darling, it's a long time since I wrote Psyche in Eros. <laughs> I don't know. But I would certainly probably be a little less dogmatic these days. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I mean, I did, yeah, my, you see, I was telling my own story in Psyche in mm. Eros and what worked for me, mm. right, which is the most powerful way of communicating. It has to be felt by yourself, you know. And my path was one of yoga and yogic purification and a macrobiotic diet, which came out of the shiatsu. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to generalize, I would say, of course, we have to realize that if we want to connect in this profound way or reconnect with the divine, it can happen to us just casually walking along the beach having had fish and chips. I mean, come on, you mm-hmm. know. But to stabilize it, to feel it and to let it become part of your life, 
I do think we have to realize that the body is a vessel for the, for the divine light, which is pouring down and wanting to infuse us and permeate us and transform our consciousness. Believe you me, we can talk a little bit more about that. The energies that are now becoming available for humanity to make this shift out of ego mm -hmm. uh, into a more expanded, more humane, more compassionate consciousness. That to, to be a vessel of the divine, really, you can't just live off junk food and sit around like a couch potato. You know, mm. uh, we have this wonderful body that's part of our disconnect from the body. Our body is the most amazing thing. And it's not just a physical body, it's an energy body. We have these channels of energy in us that, that, that we can awaken and that a certain cleansing is required in that in, in, in being more conscious of not, not putting, you know, junk food into it. I mean, there's so much advice on diet these days. I really don't want to go there, but macrobiotic diet works for me. For now, I'm a vegan, mm -hmm. and, um, but I don't like to hit people over the head with veganism either. I know it's, veganism is a way of life, and I know it's challenging, but we could go down a little bit down that avenue, but I don't, you know, want to put people off. They'd hang up some people <laughs> if they heard me the word vegan. <laughs> and I've already said it. Um so, yes, purification, but also of thought. And mindfulness meditation is very good in that regard because although it's not mystic meditation and we could talk about the distinction, mindfulness meditation where you become aware of your thoughts, you become aware of the way your, your, you know, your actions are guided by extraneous thoughts and how out of control our thinking mind is uh, that we place so much faith in. And, uh, and therefore develop this witness consciousness that sort of sees ourselves being stupid a little bit more than we did before. So we see ourselves reacting emotionally to things. We see our, our thoughts taking us off into absurd beliefs, you know, that are going to make us distressed or, or misguided in some way. Um, so all that's part of our purification process about our thoughts and our body. Mm. And it becomes becomes a sacred thing you begin to see your whole being as sacred and you honor that mm. you don't you don't want to um, poison it and, and to, you know toxify it but again you have to have the view that this care of your body and your mind is going to take you somewhere it's going to take you to joy it's going to take you to lasting happiness it's going to you know um even if your body is, is fraught with disease of some kind which is beyond your control you can still bring in your mind into a space where it finds that joy of connection. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and you, I know that you're a, a huge advocate of yoga nidra practice. Um, yes. As yes. you know, the whole body consciousness in particular is particularly healing. Can you tell us a bit about why that might be? Yes. Now, I'm, I'm very glad you brought, brought all that up because one beautiful purification practice, I believe. Uh, is is yoga nidra, which comes from the yoga tradition, and it's a practice where you lie on your back and you give the voice guidance. You move your consciousness throughout your whole body. Um, it's important to have voice guidance because that way you surrender. You're not in control of it. You just follow the voice, and you begin to feel, as I did all those years ago, if you do it regularly, you begin to feel your physical body melting and a, a sense of a body of energy, a flow of energy through you, um, which is quite delicious and, of course, very healing because the Eastern, the Eastern philosophies and the Western esoteric tradition understand that we're, we're a physical body, 
But beyond that, we have an energy body called the etheric body or the pranic body, which is life force body. Beyond that, we have the astral body. Beyond that, we have the causal body, which is our connection with the divine, with this layered being, if you like, that's simplistically expressed, but that's basically what it's all about. And so in awakening spiritually to, to our connection to the divine, we're awakening these different levels of consciousness within ourselves. And to start with awakening the etheric body, which is this energy body, this pranic body, which when it's flowing normally, when it's flowing evenly through your physical body, greatly enhances the health and well-being of your physical body and of your mind. Mm. So yoga nidra is helping to purify your etheric body, helping to unblock the blockages in your etheric body, just like acupuncture does and martial arts mm -hmm. and tai chi and so on, where you're flowing with the energy flow. You're flowing with the yourself as a body of energy rather than a physical body. And that's a very important step into feeling and having a taste of a higher level of consciousness than the contracting energies of ego and fear and, and emotionality, which we get locked into in our physical body with our hormones and our conditionings and so on and so forth. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. And we now live in a time where Western medicine is slowly learning from, uh, you know, scientists like Bruce Lipton who yes. talk about the need to pay more attention to things like the placebo effect. The biology of belief. Yes. That's right. Yes. Um, yes. So, so do you the feel power that, of the mind over the body, basically? Yeah, go on. Yeah, do you feel that now is a time of you know, like really expanding the consciousness of medicine as well? Oh, oh, hopefully, darling. But then you know, we meet with this problem of the enormous power of the corporate world. Mm. You know, in the in the in the context of diet, it's the power of the corporate meat and, and dairy industry. It's a very powerful industry that protects itself. The pharmaceutical industry is making so much money, it's not going to release its power over our, um, you know, medical treatments easily either. This is where we're, we're really at a time of revolutionary change. You can't tinker at the edges. You have to have some revolution in consciousness where we demand different ways of looking at our health and our well-being. Mm -hmm. You say pretty often that there's a hermit and a mystic in all of us. And um, just interested in, in that, and, and you, you mentioned that you can see it in children, and I know you have a strong connection to your grandchildren. Um, is that something that you are nurturing in them in particular? Oh, my granddaughter, my 14-year-old granddaughter is phenomenal. Uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds, we all think about grandchildren as phenomenal, but spiritually phenomenal. She had a meditation experience with me two years ago where she really felt a connection with the goddess Durga in the Hindu tradition, the warrior goddess. And um, since so, I gave her Sally Kempton's book on Awakening Shakti and all the stories of the goddesses. And she goes, what do you like a fish to water? She knows their mantras. And she, then she went into crystals. And now she's doing a daily meditation. She does yoga every day. She wants to come up here and take over the property here, mm. of the meditation center, and do her yoga as soon as she leaves school and so on. There's no way she can go backwards. Now, for some reason, she was you know, very connected from the start. But I do think in, in my experience of teaching primary school children yoga and, and yoga nidra, there's, there's a, a natural propensity for that. It's very difficult if I've got ADHD and these, you know, concentration problems and so on, of course. But even then, with some nurturing and love, mm. love coming in and caring, they can, be, they can be guided into having some experience of these things. 
And so, yes, it's so important that we bring these practices into our children's lives where they're ripe for receiving this before they've had it conditioned out of them, which is happening earlier and earlier, of course, with the impact of social media and smartphones and so on. It's like the dark side of the internet. But it also has its rich light side, which is to bring these children, if they're, if they're guided this way, into connection with all sorts of wonderful meditation practices, yoga nidra practices, music, uplifting music. I know my granddaughter finds all sorts of wonderful things on the web now that encourage her in her, in her spiritual path. But it's probably for the few at the moment, but, but this is the way we have to go. Mm. This, is the, this is the turning we have to take. Mm. Our children are so important, and the 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 extinction rebellion, the the mm. the protests of the young people now are, are demanding action on climate change is a part of that revolution in consciousness. There are some wonderful young people now, very aware of the error of our ways, mm. and um, I'm sure they are feeling so many of them a connection with the sacred. Mm. I've heard that there's a great opportunity for people um, to go and be with you, to be part of your meditation centre um, and to learn some of your practices. What might people experience if they went down that path? Well, I do offer uh, residential weekends. I only run about four a year in the spring and the autumn when the weather's conducive, kind. And um, it's more than just experiencing the delights of Yoga Nidra and, and meditation, which I hope they do, and relaxation and lovely food and a beautiful environment. I do take them on a bit of a journey from the Friday night through to the Sunday afternoon, which is a journey through the evolutionary process, uh, culminating on the Sunday with a, literal, with a, a ritual stepping over of that threshold from ego to essence, from ego to higher self, moving from the, the personal domain of consciousness to the transpersonal. And I invite them to actually enact that and sit in the transpersonal, end up sitting in the transpersonal domain and doing a wonderful meditation of connection with the inner beloved, with the divine beloved, as the Sufis call it, the mystical connection, be it to your Christ consciousness, your Buddha nature, or Durga, or, you know, any image of a higher consciousness that, that sits, sits, sits comfortably with you, that you have some taste of, and connect with that, and that becomes your friend, as the Sufis speak of, the friend, the mm. friend with a capital F, and and takes you from there, it becomes your friend for the rest of your life. And whenever you feel despair or despondency or depression, you do practices which hopefully can reconnect you with that sense of being with the friend, being mm. with the divine. Now, I know it sounds a bit airy-fairy and, and so on, but so real in my own life. I just love to share it with others, and people seem to come to me when they are ripe for that that transition. They've already tasted it in some way. We come back to the word stabilizing to stabilize it in their lives through their practices, particularly daily meditation and attention to purification practices and and awareness, mm-hmm. awakened awareness. And it seems to me that you yourself live this. It's not just something you do, you know, when when there's a retreat on. You, no. what are some of the routines and practices that you 
must do every day, otherwise you sort of miss it. Well, one of the blessings of being 79 years old, of course, is that I have the freedom um, because my children are all grown up and, and doing their own thing. And um, uh, I don't have to earn daily money anymore. Um, but I would even see, even if you're still at that stage of your life where you are a householder and you have the responsibilities of parent and so on, so on I would urge, very much urge, a time in the morning to be set aside for a meditation practice, even if it's only 20 minutes, ideally half an hour or more. For myself, I come up to my wee temple, which I've built, and I would meditate for at least two hours. That includes some yoga and, and prayer and so on. And that's a connecting experience for me in the morning. It's like switching on the spiritual energies in my body. It's like switching on the divine. Mm. Now, ideally, of course, you don't need to do that. It's with you all the time. You're sufficiently transformed. I don't use the word enlightened, awakened to be in that consciousness with great ease every moment of the day. But we're not there. I'm not there and as very few people are. Um, Christ was, of course. Buddha was. You know, we have many exemplars of that. Um, but to to do a morning practice, to just switch on to the beloved, to, to commune with the beloved and feel the presence of the beloved or the divine or whatever you like to call it. But the next stage in our evolution is to actually embody it permanently. Mm. Um, but uh, it's not about me, me, me anymore. It's about a connection which then enable me to say truly every morning, not my will but thy will be done. What mm. do I do today to help raise the consciousness of humanity, to help take us out of this dark period into the light again? Mm. That's what it's about, service. You do your practices in the spirit of service to the greater good. And it's so much more powerful if you do that. But sadly, we're caught up in this narcissistic age where it's all about me, 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 and the spiritual paths have been hijacked by, to some extent, by that narcissism about my enlightenment, my awakening, my well-being. You don't really find the joy until you reach a point where you're connected enough with the beloved to feel that you just you fall in love with the divine. You just want to serve the divine. Mm. That's what's left for you in life. Hmm. And some of those practices have been made into recordings, um, CDs and so on and are available on your website along with your books as well and we'll put uh, a link to that in our show notes, I think. Um, but if That's people want to reach out to you, is that is that the best way? Well, the website, of course, is, is lovely, yes, and there's a free download of the Third Eye Meditation Practice there. Um, there are downloads because people don't use CDs anymore, downloads of yoga nidra practices, meditation practices, but you can also order my book or my CDs from that website too. Mm. And thank you so much, Sally, for, for offering that as a connection for people. Mm. Or, yeah. And of course, very welcome to come and do individual retreats here or in, in or come to my residential weekends. But there's always a, a space here for individual practices too. I think it's great to come and even if it's just a weekend, mm. to have time out in a beautiful space and do some meditation with me and as, as an individual. Mm. That's so generous. Thank you. I think we um, would better end now. And I, I'd love to finish with a poem that you, you told me that you really love, Christian Fry's poem. Christopher Fry, yes. Christopher Fry. Yes. My theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I came across this this verse from Christopher Fry, the, the English playwright, writing in the mid mid twentieth century, ages ago, really. Um, but what he had to say was so relevant to today, and I, I came across it through Jean Houston, actually, I think in the nineties, 
and I love to share it and unpack it because it's it 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 says it summarizes so beautifully what what really we've been talking about. And he wrote, "Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood, the upstart spring." And that I think is a wonderful metaphor for the meltdown of the patriarchy and the birth of a new consciousness, the upstart spring. He goes on, thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to meet us everywhere, that dark night. Never to leave us till we take the largest stride of soul folk ever took. What a wonderful way of describing our transition from ego to what I call snowflake self, ego to higher self, ego to essence, whatever, to step into the transpersonal, the largest stride of soul folk ever took. Affairs are now soul-sized. In other words, it's all about the evolution of spirituality, of consciousness. Uh, it's, it's not about, you know, further technology or robots or whatever. Affairs are now soul-sized. The enterprise is exploration into God. In other words, inner work, inner explanation inner exploration, which is going to give us the connections, the spiritual, mystical connections that will enable us to give our best in the world. We give that back to our action in the world. So exploration into God. Um, where are you making for? It takes so many thousand years to wake, but will you wake for pity's sake? In other words, it's taken thousands of years the consciousness to reach a point in time where it is now where we are ripe to embody transcendent. We didn't talk about that, but the aim of life, according to the Dalai Lama, is to embody the transcendent. That's what our exploration into God means, to begin to embody the transcendent. I love that because it's, it gives up, brings up that idea of stability, that we're actually beginning to embody a different level, different consciousness. In Christian terms, it's it's the descent of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Mm. Bringing it into our body and and um, being a vessel of that of that divine energy. But we didn't mention Kundalini because that's an mm. energy that's rising too at this time. Part of our awakening is, is an awakening of, of the energy in the base of the spine. That takes us into a entirely different interview, darling. So yes. <laughs> that is Christopher Fry's poem. Mm. And I think it's a beautiful summation of where we are and where we need to go. That is so beautiful and we will certainly put that in our show notes as well, those who'd like to follow up. And um, I think we might leave it there. Gillian, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with us and for assisting us on this great next long stride of the soul um, so much of what we're, what we're learning from you is going to assist us in this consciousness evolution. Thank you. Well, darling, you're, you're the sacred activist. You're there doing all of this in the work that you do and, this, and you're, you know, um, the centre does. And I bow to you and honour that totally. Um, mm. So, yes, thank you for having me. It's been a great honour. And um, may the goddess be with us and mm. help us to find better ways of being human. Thank you, Gillian. The Thresholds team at Rahamim live, work and create this podcast on the lands which have always been and always will be Wiradjuri country. We give our respect and gratitude to the elders past, present and emerging who continue to teach us ancient wisdom for living in harmony within Earth's limits. 
Rahman Ecology Centre is an ecological ministry of the Sisters of Mercy of Australia and Papua New Guinea, facilitating a new worldview for our times and our relationship with the natural world through education, spirituality and advocacy. For more information about us and our programs, please visit www.rahamim, that's R-A-H-A-M for Mary, I-M for Mary, .org.au. The Thresholds podcast is edited by Anastasia Freeman.